So we're in the last in the series, Going Where We've Never Been. And I'm calling this message today, The Normal Christian Life. And that's not to beat you up or condemn you for where you're at. We are all shaped by culture. We're shaped by our families. We're shaped by all these things. So it's, it's, it's natural to look at the Bible and go, oh, we're not quite there where they were in the beginning. But God has a plan. I really believe that. I really believe God has a plan. And even the things that are going on that some of us don't like. Remember, God's, all, God's always doing a thousand things. And, and you're, you have a limited, and I have a limited focus. We can focus on two or three things that we wish were going differently. But God is always doing a thousand things, and he's doing things we, we can't even foresee. Um, when Joseph was taken into uh, to Egypt as a slave, he couldn't have foreseen how God was going to use that and how God actually needed that to happen. And so God is also doing some, some things today that I know we don't understand, but I'm starting to see that it's moving people who are Christ followers. It's moving us right to the place that we really needed to be. But we wouldn't have gotten there on our own. We needed circumstances and conditions to get us in the right mindset. And so I'm borrowing my title from a Christian classic called The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a writer and, and uh, 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 speaker in China uh, during the beginning of Mao Zedong's revolution there and um, was a prolific author. If you hadn't read any, I, in fact, I would recommend this book, The Normal Christian Life. It's one of the classic books. He, he actually spent the last 20 years of his life in a Chinese prison and, uh, uh, but continued to be faithful. In fact, some of the book is, I understand, is correspondence from prison, and he died in prison. This book walks you beautifully, though, through Romans 5 through 8, which we're not going to do today, but it leaves us with an assurance that in Christ, we can live a life that pleases our Father in heaven. Now, now if, if, if such a God-pleasing life wasn't desirable and actually left us with greater inner peace I, I would still have to recommend it. However, it is in every way desirable. And it does leave us with greater inner peace and all the things that people work so hard to have. So why not go on to an entirely successful and overcoming Christian life? Why don't we just go ahead and be radical Christ followers? 2 Corinthians 5.11, I want to read to you. Since then we know that it is what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Just every time you see the word we, if you would just, at least in your mind, circle it. If you, uh, or if you're on your device, you can highlight it. So, just see how many times he uses the word we. S since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. There again, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here we go. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul is explaining the mystery of our motivation. He liberally uses the word we. We, this means he's assuming that this omnipresent motivation that permeates all aspects of our lives is the normal Christian life. We look forward. Can can, can we, in our minds, say that to ourselves? We look forward to moving from mortality to immortality. Now, don't don't be embarrassed if you're not ready to say that. But that's what Paul is saying is the normal Christian life is we look forward to moving from mortality to immortality. And we would actually prefer to be at home with the Lord. (laughs) A couple of you are part of the we. (laughs) We we have this overwhelming, we have this overwhelming desire to please the Lord more than ourselves. We probably won't get as many amens on that. (laughs) But that's what, the normal Christian life is we have this desire, a greater desire to please the Lord and to please ourselves. We are passionate about everyone wanting everyone to be reconciled to God. And we find no sacrifice too great to bring another person into the experience of being reconnected with God through Christ. And then we move into chapter 6, which we won't read yet, but we see Paul writing in verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that the ministry will not be discredited. Now, if all that sounds very strange, I understand. But as we will see, Paul explains later on, we'll get to it, the mystery of that motivation that will make you like that. You see, a lot of times we pastors types, uh, we do it to ourselves and we do it to our congregations. We try to beat you into submission. You know, we try to guilt you into being something that you're or going someplace you haven't gone before. But you know it doesn't work. And, and that's not how God does it. God did not try to beat humanity into submission. God did not send us memos telling us how horrible we were all the time. You know, he, he, he didn't do that. He, 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 didn't, he didn't do a contest either. You know, he, he didn't do a, 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 a winner-takes-all contest. But no, he sent his son to become one of us and to be incarnate and walk with us and be with us and demonstrate what we could be. And then, as we're going to get to in a minute, he put the Holy Spirit inside of us. He, he doesn't try to, 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 to do it from the external. He does it internally. He does it within us. Something comes up within us that happens to us. We are born of the Spirit of God. Amen. Right? Now, if all that, you know... Uh, uh, But as we will see, Paul explains in a minute the mystery of this motivation that happened in the first century church. And and when this happens, we will see the sinner's prayer is something more than a magical incantation. Incantation. You know, the sinner's prayer, we we can kind of see that as a magical incantation. Somebody says, pray the sinner's prayer with me, which we've all done, and I'm not going to quit praying the sinner's prayer or inviting people to pray it. 
And absolutely not. We're not going to stop that. But, but it can be seen as kind of a magical incantation. Dear Lord, dear Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And please come and be my personal Savior. And I will look forward to living with you forever. Amen. And in the name of Jesus is the magic words. In the name of Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm born again now. Nothing else really matters. And when, when we do this, it ensures that we have a better funeral. <laughs> and, and as people leave the room to go find the potato salad, <laughs> they can say, Mama's in a better place. Because she prayed that magic prayer. 30, 40, 50 years, she prayed the magic prayer, and now she's in a better place. Well... I happen to believe it is that easy to accept Christ. But unfortunately, many 21st century churchgoers can relate to that famous prayer of Wilbur Rees. Remember, I'm not, I'm not talking today just about getting to heaven. I'm talking today about going where some of us have never been. That is to place where, to put it in the vernacular of the old timers, on fire for Jesus. I, I believe God wants to raise up some people that are on fire. Amen? I believe God wants to raise up a church that's on fire for God. Amen? You don't want to be like that famous prayer that Wilbur Reese wrote all those years ago, $3 worth of God. It goes like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a warm, a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. So how, how, so how, how do we do it? How do we go from being someone who just prays the magic prayer to someone who's really living a spirit-filled life, who's really on fire? Well, first of all, we must recover the reality that God reconciling the world to himself is the true story of the human race. That there is a real story. So, so the first thing I want to say to you today is let's, let's start living in the true story. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. That's the culmination of the story that you're invited to begin to live in. I don't know if you're living in that story yet, but, but we have these, but, but I'm inviting you to today. One, one false idea that, that creates weak Christianity is we don't, really get, we don't really learn the story. We don't really absorb the story, the, the, the grand narrative. And, and, and in fact, that sinner's prayer that I, I, I sort of parodied a minute ago, which I have great respect for, but I parodied it just to make a point, it's kind of like a, an insurance plan approach. You know, it's like uh, right now I, I'm, looking for a, I'm looking for a dental plan. I mean, I, I, I hope I don't have to have false teeth soon, but never know, right? I'm working, I'm working not, to do, not to have false teeth, but, but some of you have false teeth and you're very happy with them, so maybe, 
Maybe I would be happier. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but you know, so I'm looking at all these plans, so I try to find the plan that's best. And boy, they make it so difficult. What is it, Craig, about you insurance people that make it so complicated? You know, it's just, you, just, you don't want us to understand. I just know they don't want us to understand. And they just want you to say, yes, I'll do it. And uh, so I'm looking at plans, you know, I think that's the way, you know, one plan offers this, another plan pays this much and owns this much. This kind of, sometimes, you know, Christianity can be like this, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a plan just in case I have to have dentures. <laughs> I'm going to get a plan. You know, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure, I, I'm not even, I don't even know the story very well. I don't read the Bible. I don't really know it, but I hear about there's this plan that it seems to, that seems to make for better funerals. So <laughs> I want to sign up for the plan just in case, just in case I have an accident, just in case I run into somebody, I'll have insurance. And that is such a low idea. And it coincides with the idea that sociologists recognize that human beings obviously require a, a narrative. We require a story uh, or, or a myth. And the, the so, sociologists call it the unbearable necessity of mythology. The unbearable necessity of mythology. For obvious reason, the, the secular story is called science. And the religious story is called a myth. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? The, the current secular science theory is based on, on, on cell theory. Cell theory, which is the basis of all biology. And it, the, the simple way to put it, it's from goo to zoo to the you, to you, you know. That's a simple way. You know, the, uh, uh, millions and billions of years ago, there was a swamp, primordial swamp, and there was a piece of moss in the swamp that got struck by lightning, and the lightning, somehow, miraculously, it produced tadpoles. And, it, you know, it, 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 it had to be more than one tadpole because they, they had to mate and do other tadpole things with one another. And... Uh, and uh, and so, 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 so they did that, and, and, and one day, one of the little tadpoles began to have a, a yearning to see a world that he, that he had never seen before, and to go where he had never been before, and just, he couldn't, he couldn't explain it, it was just a desire, so he strained and, 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 and strained every little muscle in his little tadpole body, and, and somehow it caused him to grow lungs. That he needed, he couldn't breathe underwater anymore. So he beaches himself on the land, and and you know probably all his other little tadpole friends beached themselves, and probably most of them died. But after a couple million years of tadpoles all beaching themselves, finally one of them grew a leg one day. <laughs> and you know, and finally two legs and two arms and the hair and. And it, now it's you, <laughs> right? In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, anything but God. That's what we have in the world today. And they, they, call, they call the religious story a myth, and they call their story science. Give me a break. Rebecca McLaughlin, who, who lives about 30 minutes from here, by the way, in Cambridge. She's a great writer. 
I really recommend her books to you. And uh, she wrote a great book called Confronting Christianity, which everybody should read. And if you're not a reader, get, get an Audible account. Listen to it. Listen to it. Um, but this comes from her book. Her newest book is called The Secular Creed. And she said, many secular people see evolution as an origin story that replaces the Genesis account. The theory of evolution doesn't by itself disprove God's creation or show that they're not, we're not set apart by him. Some of the top evolutionary scientists in the world, in fact, are serious Christians. But if evolution is our only origin story, then Yuval Noah Harari, his earlier observation is right. We humans have no natural rights just as chimpanzees, hyenas, and spiders have no natural rights, we only have the triumph of the strong over the weak. As men are always, almost always physically, and this, this chapter is about uh, women's rights and the women's rights movement. She said, uh, she said uh, as men are almost always physically stronger than women, we have no grounds for saying women are equal to men. And if our only purpose is to propagate our DNA, we have no grounds for saying rape is wrong. Feminists rightly object to women being treated like wombs on legs, valued only for our reproductive power. But if evolution is our only origin story, that is precisely what women are. Now, that's a, power, that's, that's a really insightful... It, why would you want the wrong story? It's the right story. The, 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 the entire human rights movement springs out of Christianity. Christianity is the foundation of the human rights, movement, human rights movement. There would be no human rights movement without Christianity. And, and I, I love to talk about that, so I'm going to stop because I, I love to talk about that. By the way, I, I did a brief overview of social theories, and I found that there are 15 social theories out there. Among them are structural functionalism, conflict theory, and symbolic interactionism. You know why people sit around and think of these long words to describe how we are? That's how much they don't want to yield to God. Amen. That's how much they... And I like those big words, by the way. It makes me feel good when I say them. <laughs> but, but I recognize what they are. They all do one thing. They keep humans in control of their own destiny and dismiss the need of a heavenly father. Here's the real story. In the beginning of human history, our first parents walked with God and lived by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Rather than living by the Creator's word of life, though, they listened to the serpent's lie. In their rebellion, they tried to be like God. As sinners, Adam and Eve feared the nearness of God, just like you and I do. God, though, is a God of justice, which means he had to honor his promise of giving man dominion over the earth, even after they chose to empower Satan as their source of wisdom instead of the Father God. John 14, 30, Jesus acknowledges this. The prince of the world is coming, he said, and he finds nothing in me. At his temptation, when Satan offered Jesus the, 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 the authority over the world, Jesus didn't say, you don't have the authority over the world. Jesus Jesus, by default, acknowledged that Satan had authority in the world. A lady told me yesterday, she said, shut the door. I shut the door behind me. She said, I hate God. <laughs> and she began to tell me about all the bad things that happened in her family. And I tried to explain to her, hey, God's not in charge. 
God's not in charge of the world. The devil's in charge of the world. But God has a, has a revolution going on that's going to win. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You know, what, you know what China needs to worry about right now? They need to be worried about being taken over by Christianity. But because by 2026, if the rate of conversion in China continues as it is, there will be more Christians in China than there are in America. I read the last chapter in the book. We win. So God, though, God's in a dilemma. He can't go against his own word, so he sent Christ, who was fully God and became fully man, who lived a sinless life, which qualifies him to be our perfect sacrifice. We psychologically require a scapegoat. You know that every time something goes wrong in your house, you want to know who did it. Every time something goes wrong in the church, you want to know who did it. We require, psychologically, we require a scapegoat. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. See, Christianity is not a philosophical path. Christianity is not a mere consumer choice. Christianity is a decision to belong to Christ and allow him to make us new people. Watchman Nee said in the normal Christian life, he says this, I need forgiveness for what I have done, but I also need deliverance from who I am. The teaching of Roman is not that we are sinners because we commit sin, but that we sin because we are sinners. This transformation not only makes us new creations, but also brings us to participate in bringing about the new heavens and the new earth, that which is the ultimate. Pastors don't always know, know what to do with our ministry to the community. After, after Channel 5 did a story on Compassion New England and the Blessing Barns, we got, Sherry started getting a lot of calls from pastors. And uh, they were, how, how do you do it? What do you do? You know, that's the way pastors are. So, oh, you're doing something that's successful? I want to know how to do it because I want to be successful. <laughs> and uh, you know what they all wanted to know? They all want to know how many people come to church. How many of those people that come to the store come to the church? And, and many people do, by the way. Some of you are here today because you came to here through the blessing bar. But what we keep trying to say to them is we're not just doing this to get people to come to our church. We are doing this because God has called us to participate in the new creation. God has called us to go out and represent Him and what it's going to look like in the new creation when people are blessed and helped because God is in charge and grace reigns in the earth and you don't have to deserve goodness, but it's given to you free of charge. We're out in the community wanting to be demonstrations of God's grace. That's what we're doing. We want to advertise to the world, this is the new creation that's coming. This is what it's going to look like. Would you like to be a part of it? See, we must recover the fact that there is only one true story, one true narrative of the human race, and Christians are to live as testimonies of the new creation. Okay, let's move, ahead, move on this morning. I've got to preach fast to get done here today. I love my side trails too much. We must recover the reality that sacrificing to honor Christ in a way that reflects His character is normal Christianity. I call this the first point I was talking about re receiving the right story. 
and knowing that this is not just the story of you because you've decided to go to a church, and now this is your story. So you've, you've, this is your story, and you can have your story, and you can have your story, and you can have your story, but this is my story now because I'm a Christian. No, it's the story of the human race. It's the only true story. It's the only true narrative of what's really happening in the world. Now, we talk about receiving the right spirit. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're trying to do with Compassion New England and with our lives. Every Christian leader I know right now is talking about a crisis in what we call discipleship. A disciple has become differentiated, wrongly I believe, but nevertheless clearly articulated today as being different from being a Christian. See, in, in contemporary modern Christendom, a Christian is someone who believes in Christ. A disciple is someone who behaves like Christ. But you can have the budget version if you want, or you can have the expensive version. You can have the costly version, which is you actually begin to remind people of Jesus. Or you can have the one where you never remind anyone of Jesus in the way you behave. But you're going to go to heaven. So I, I, I'm not in charge of who goes to heaven. So I, I, hope, I hope everybody goes to heaven who prayed the sinner's prayer and signed the card. I hope they all go. I don't want anybody not to go, not to have eternal life. But j- j- just, just take what I said as face value, that there are two versions, being a Christian and being a disciple. And, 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 and a Christian is someone who believes, a disciple is someone who behaves. So we get this idea of behaving like Christ from Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything, obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus thought we would all want to be disciples. He never knew that some of us would just want to, want to get an insurance policy. He really didn't. He wasn't prepared for that. So, he, I mean, evidently Jesus doesn't know everything, right? And as I talk to pastors and leaders, uh, there's three things that they will bring up to me about why they think we're in a crisis. One is tens of thousands of baptized and professing Christians, when the, when the lockdown happened, when COVID-19 hit, tens of thousands of Christians who've been baptized, gone through the classes, and even were going to small group, didn't watch their church online and didn't show up when the church opened. I heard of one megachurch that's got 30% of the people have come back in one, one megachurch. Now, some megachurches are probably doing fine. I, I, don't, I don't live by the Gallup polls and all that stuff, and I don't really claim to know what's going on all over the world. But that, I'm just telling you what people talk to me about. The second thing is that uh, it seems right now that there's been an unprecedented number of Christian leaders being caught in scandalous sin. And, and I, I don't usually talk about this, but now that with the internet, you know before I know. You know about the famous apologist, Christian apologist, who, who uh, was abusing massage therapists all over the world. He, he actually had an apartment in Bangkok, Thailand, which Bangkok, Thailand is the sexual tourism capital of the world. And he just conveniently had an apartment that he kept there. So, you know, and there were uh, even the limited amount they were able to get a hold of his phone, they were, they were 
uh, pictures of, of nude women and all this kind of stuff on his phone. And I, and I said under that apologist, I heard him pre- speak in person, and he was tremendous mind. Uh, also, m- many of you, you know, the, 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 the celebrity pastor, the Hillsong pastor in New York, uh, we've all heard of that story. And he was on The View and everything else before. And so, and, and there's a lot more stories, by the way. I, I do really believe that uh, there's a higher rate of Christian leaders getting caught in scandalous sin than, than before. I, I do believe it's higher. I, I can't prove it, but I believe it's higher. And, we, and, and what's interesting is we do not see any evidence of it in the early church. And, and, and that was a very sensual culture. The Roman Greek culture was very sexual. And, and, it, and, 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 and illicit sex was very available in that culture. I mean, even, I think more so than even today. It was more available. In, it, to, to be a Corinthian, the word Corinthian meant, was synonymous with the word prostitute. Really. There were brothels on every corner, and it was totally accepted. It was totally accepted that, that, that men would go there to have their sexual needs met. I mean, it's just, uh, it was just, it was a very rampant culture. And, and it, you can read more if you read Tom Holland, who talks about this, this culture where, where men especially were just allowed to satisfy their desires with anybody who had less status than them, men and women. Anyone who had less status than them, they could, they could have their sexual needs met and there would be no retribution, no scandal. That, the Me Too culture hadn't really happened yet, you know, in, in uh, ancient Rome and, and Greece. But yet, we, we, we see not one single apostle, not one single apostle do we ever find they fell into scandalous sexual sin. Uh, and then, then there's, there's the growing number of congregants in our churches who no longer see Scripture as authoritative when it comes to lifestyle, beliefs, and doctrine. Uh, convictions are being placed by preferences and moral positions Moral positions in, in many people who even attend our churches are established more by relationships than they are by vigorous biblical research or scholarship. And this is a shift. This is a shift that's happened unmistakably. Now the solution to these problems of Christians and all who are professing Christians in name only is not for me to chide or make you feel guilty. First of all, no one can possibly find Christianity that is merely a vaccination against hell to be at all exciting or interesting or fun or joyful, right? It's not, it's not fun. It's not joyful. It's not exciting if your Christianity is just a vaccination against the devil coming and dragging you into a fiery pit someday. <laughs> no one is doing you a favor when they say to you, uh, j- just just pray this prayer and you don't have to worry about what you do. See, no one is doing you a favor when they say, don't be concerned about your sin, just be concerned about your shame. And no one's doing you a favor when they tell you, because sin is deadly, it's devastating, man. It tears families apart. It, it, tears our, it destroys our physical bodies. Proverbs 13, 5 says, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. The answer lies in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I'm talking about where did the early church get their motivation to live lives that were pleasing to God? And here's the answer. 
First of all, let's go to verse 15, then we'll go back to verse 14. Verse 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So we have this huge body of evidence that the early church would, I mean, they would just put their head on the chopping block and let them cut it off rather than, rather than renounce Christ. That's the ultimate in not living for yourself. And then, but then, now let's go back to verse 14 and we'll find out what made them so radical. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't shame. It wasn't controlling pastors and leaders. It says, for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. The core of this word compel, is, it means to hedge in or hem in. Seneco means to, it was, it was used in this way, to be seized by an illness. It means to be controlled, hard-pressed, hemmed in. It meant to be in custody or arrested. You know, they put the, put the handcuffs on you and take you away. You're under control. You don't control your own world. It, 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 meant, uh, it meant to be overtaken by something so you have no choice but to move with it, with its current. You're at its mercy. It's, it, it was used in Luke chapter 4, verse 38. It says, Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. And also used in Luke chapter 8, verse, 14, verse 18, verse 45, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But I've still failed to answer the question, how? How, did they, how were they so motivated? I've been thinking about this for months. I've been thinking about how were they so motivated? Because I feel the church is moving into a first century way of being right now. I feel like, I feel like, Christianity, I feel like there are forces that are trying to de-Christianize the culture. And, 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 and so we're moving in, we're, we're not in the favor, we're not the home team, as I said the other day. We're not the home team anymore. So, so we're moving into being more like the first century church, and I see that they were much happier than we are. And they were much more excited about Christ than sometimes we are. And what was it? Well, here's the answer. It's really so simple. In fact, you know, we miss the answers sometimes because they're so simple. Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured in, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then when I read that the other day as I was preparing for this message, all of a sudden, Steve, it made sense. All over the New Testament, they were always asking for the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus told his disciples, I'm, I'm going away, but make sure when I go, you ask for the Holy Spirit. And he said, I want you to go in, in to the upper room and I want you to wait there until you receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't ask them to do any of this under their own power. He didn't ask them to do this Christian life. This Christian life is impossible under our own power. You know, you know what we should be doing? We should be crying out for the Holy Spirit to fill us. We should be begging God to Fill our hearts and fill our souls and fill our minds with the power of the Holy Spirit because God never intended for this to happen in the energy of the flesh. God never intended for us to be good enough, strong enough, great enough, smart enough. God never intended to do anything but with the power of the Holy Spirit. God intended for the church to forever be Pentecostal. 
Amen? Finally, we must recognize, and I wish I had more time on that. We've got to, get, we've got to come back to that subject, the Holy Spirit. But I want you all to start praying for the Holy Spirit. Start asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Ask God every day, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. We're doing too many things in our natural selves. Yes, we're, we're, we have a lot of talent in this room. We have a lot of ability in this room. But, but we've proven that it's not enough. We've proven that it's not enough. We must have a move of the Holy Spirit. We must. We must. We must cry out for that. So finally, let me say this. We must recover the reality that being rightly related to God through Christ is Earth's greatest joy and eternity's only sure hope. This is a love-motivated sacrifice. Story, spirit, sacrifice. The living, the living sacrifice. It doesn't kill you. It makes you alive. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. My hero is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he talked about in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he talked about cheap grace versus costly grace. And he wrote in that, it's a much longer piece, uh, you should go read it. It's a very short book. You can read it in one setting. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of a man who will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for those whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. See, we were rejected from the garden, but the good news is God wants us back. Jesus has died. We can go back to the garden now. The garden has been disinfected by the blood of Christ. Now, plain and simple, the world needs us and we need each other. And that is the greatest life there is. Will you come and follow Christ and go where you've never been? <laughs>